This is the cat. I've got a guest in today, but we're changing the subject a little bit, aren't we? Because we are talking today all about metal detecting, and we have got our guest in. We've got Martin. Hello, Martin. Hi. And uh, just give us some insight of who you are. Um, uh, Martin Tobit. I'm a member of the Crew and Nantwich Metal Detecting Society, and we organise rallies on a regular basis and regular meetings, which we hold once a month in the Crown Inn in Nantwich. And uh, it is our focus for this month, all about hobbies and societies. And we've just been briefly talking about various hobbies that uh, people can get involved with. And uh, you're here to talk about metal detecting. And we've just been mentioning just outside, just off air, that uh, this public perception of metal detecting, it's all for nerds and train spotters and geeks and that sort of stuff. But uh, but it's a bit more... It's a bit more, let's just say, involved than that, I'd say. I think it is, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think people look at us and think of anoraks and headphones and, you know, weirdos. Um, but actually, the hobby is extremely interesting. Um, we find things um, in the ground which haven't been seen for maybe thousands of years. Um, not very valuable, most of the things, but sometimes we do come up with treasure, as, as you're probably well aware, Ian. Yes, uh, we've just been briefly talking a little bit as well, just about the, uh, the Staffordshire Horde. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure pretty much everybody in, in the country has heard about the Staffordshire Hall. In fact, it's uh, currently still on display at the uh, Pottery Museum. It is. And uh, <laughs> funny enough, I was in the Pottery Museum last night and I had a quick look at them just to, just to do a bit, a bit of research just before a couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> so don't worry, I'm well versed on it. But uh, it's just one of these things. I think a few years ago when the Staffordshire Hall the story broke, there was this big massive surge where people were going out and buying metal detectors thinking, well, hang on a minute, a bloke with a metal detector in this field in Staffordshire found this and all of a sudden he's a, he's a national celebrity. He's found all this archaeological, sort of like this site. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and he's put the profile up for the hobby, really, hasn't he? Well, he has. Um, unfortunately, I think a lot of people feel that um, they can enter the hobby and their only aim is to actually go out and find another Staffordshire hold. Um, and, of course, that doesn't happen. Um, what we do find is an enormous amount of rubbish in the ground and occasionally some nice finds. Um, but I think a lot of people that have entered the hobby in the last few years uh, probably have actually quit fairly quickly um, because they haven't um, found what they were expecting to find. Um, and it is a very slow process, um, very methodical. And we have to record all the things we find with the uh, local finds liaison officer. And anything of uh, treasure status has to be declared through the British Museum. And I suppose the big thing, for a lot of the hobbyists, the people that, like we say, they, they've probably just gone out and bought a metal detector and thinking, right, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go and search in my garden, see if I can find mm-hmm. some archaeological <laughs> um, discovery from the last thousand years, and then all of a sudden they just discover they're they finding bits of cable and Absolutely. old nails and <laughs> parts, parts right. of lawnmowers that are dropped off and things like yeah. this. Yeah, we find an awful lot of rubbish. Um, and I think um, a lot of people entering the hobby will find that they'll buy the cheapest detector they can find. Um, and the danger with that is that they're not that, that efficient, so yeah, they will find even I was just going to come to that to you, because we have just been, uh, just been briefly saying, just, just among ourselves really, that there is a difference between the, the hobby-grade or the toy-grade mm-hmm. type of metal detector that you can buy from a toy shop or maybe a hardware shop, yeah. that, uh, like, like our street retailer. Mm-hmm. And then I'm assuming that, uh, like any, any big hobby, if you want to go into it a proper way, you've got to go to a specialist supplier or do a specialist amount of kit. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, the, the machine I'm currently using costs £1,000, um, which sounds a lot of money, but actually, once you've had, had that outlay, um, the hobby is actually very cheap to, to, to follow because all you're doing is charging up your batteries and off you go. Um, one thing you do have to have is permission from all the landowners before you go on any piece of land in the country. You need permission from the landowner. 
Um, so that's absolutely vital. <coughs> and certainly if you're entering the hobby, um, I would suggest that anybody doing so should join a club such as the Crew and Nantwich Metal Detectors. And if it is that you've got a hobby, hobby-grade sort of um, apparatus, let's call it, and the difference between the hobby grade and the professional grade is a little bit, little bit different in what what they can pick up. Because Absolutely. you've just been saying that the uh, the more advanced, probably the more elaborate ones that you're used to, they can detect even the smallest fragments. Tiny, tiny coins, um, the size of a small fingernail, um, which you wouldn't pick up with with a cheaper machine. Uh, and also, some of the modern machines have a built-in GPS so that you can actually mark where you find anything that you find. You can get a GPS location, which is, which is vital when we're recording that information with the, the authorities. Yeah, and I suppose it'd be a good one, because if, if there is anything found in the ground and you come back another day, you know where to pick up exactly the search right. and yes, you carry on. Exactly yeah. right. Um, uh, two years ago, I found um, a 3,500-year-old gold ring in the ground, so a Bronze Age Penanular ring. Um, and I was able to mark the GPS location, and so this year I go back and I'll be exactly on the same spot where I found that gold ring. Um, hopefully we'll find some more items there as well. And often we see some of these archaeological programmes on the TV. Time Team, that's, a, uh -huh. that's probably one of, the, uh, one of the good ones that everybody probably recognises. And every now, now and again you see like the, uh, the people that are going around with the metal detectors and they're mm -hmm. finding the archaeological digs and they're finding the sites and, and they're actually searching for things and they can, get a, they can really get a good picture of what happened a thousand years ago. So it's, it's, a, it's a good tool. I, I mean, yep. you, you mentioned to me that you're, you're pretty much into the, uh, the historical side rather than the uh, archaeological side. But the... the the history side, really, is probably what drives a lot of people into the hobby, I would have thought. I think it is, yeah. Um, it, interestingly, on Time Team, when, when that programme first came out, they were pretty much against metal detectors. Um, and if you saw any of the early um, episodes of Time Team, you probably wouldn't see a metal detector on there at all. Um, but I think the view has changed over the years, and there's now recognition that um, actually people with metal detectors are recovering things from the ground which would otherwise never be found and probably would get destroyed over the years by ploughing and, and fertilisers. So we're actually doing a good job. And it's, it's one thing to find pottery and relics and stones and things, but if you can find something that's metal, mm -hmm. and like you say, some of this stuff, it ends up in museums, it ends up in uh, archives and all sorts of places. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Nantwich Museum has a, a cabinet um, displaying finds which are mainly made by metal detectorists. Um, and that's that's that which museums open every day, I think. Um, so well worth a visit, and have a look at the local finds that've been made. There's some really nice things in there. Certainly, will. That is definitely a place to go if uh, if you want to find out a little bit more about the hobby. It is just a case of if you want to get in touch with us here at the studio, you can do. Give us a call: oh one two seven oh double four seven five one five. We'll also open up the text line. It's oh one two seven oh two double six eight double seven. Your normal text rate will apply. You can email studio at thisisthecat.com if you've got any questions to put to Martin. Anything about the hobby, or maybe you're thinking, hang on a minute, I've got a metal detector in the loft. I need to know how to use this. I need some help and advice. Or well, Martin is the person to speak to. So we're here today talking all things metal detecting. And if you are one of these people that goes out metal detecting in a field, you've probably encountered uh, our guest today. And if you've seen anybody out there metal detecting, then I suppose really the, the big thing for everybody on their mind is, what are you looking for? <laughs> that, is, that is the thing. Because the honest answer. Because, because you never know, do you? <laughs> well, we're looking for treasure, I suppose, but um, we don't very often find treasure. Um, what we do find, um, lots of medieval items, hopefully, medieval coins, 
um, right through back up to Victorian coins, um, anything really. Um, we always hope we're going to find something wonderful, and we very rarely do, but we find very, very, very interesting things. Uh, and also, we don't just find metal. Interestingly, we because our, 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 our eyes are on the ground, we do find lots of other things like pottery um, and flint arrowheads, that sort of thing. So it's not all about metal. Um, in fact, one of my favourite finds is a, is a, a Neolithic arrowhead which is um, 10,000 years old. Ah, cause you, yeah, it's an interesting development, that, because you think, oh, you're looking for metal, so you'd be looking for metal. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, there, I suppose there are things that, as you're digging around in the soil, thinking, hang on a minute, what's that I've just found? And you can find other things. Yeah, you do, absolutely. So, yeah, um, I never thought to do like that. That's no. <laughs> no the, the arrowhead I found was, um, I, I, I found it, I was the first person to see it in 10,000 years, which is quite something in itself. Um, but I, I keep thinking about the, the chap that was in his hut or whatever it was, and he was napping this piece of flint, and probably spent all night making this flint arrowhead, attached it to his, his piece of wood, fired it off at a deer or something, and lost it. Can you it's, imagine that? He spent all yeah. night making it and then lost it. Yeah, it's quite a story. And if you're thinking, if anybody out there is probably talking about the... Uh, Talking about the hobby generally, I mean, you just mentioned about metal detectors. They're all battery-powered these days. They are, yes. And battery technology has moved on a lot because I remember when I was a kid that was... OK, I'm, I'm going back to the toy grade sort of ones. Uh -huh. You put your, your, your two D-cell batteries in there. Yeah. And after 20 minutes, that was it. It was a case gone. of the batteries were gone. But nowadays, we've got lithium uh -huh. lithium batteries, uh, we've got polymer batteries and all sorts of stuff. So I'm, I'm assuming now, because like anything, like with mobile phones... The technology's moved on that much. You can be literally out in a field for hours and hours and hours Absolutely, just yeah. on one battery. Typical charge will last um, 12 hours. So that's a, that's a full day's detecting. I don't think you want to do more than 12 hours. No, no. <laughs> but again, I suppose it's one of these things like with, um, with like flying, like model, model aircraft flying, things like this. But there was one time where people used to go out, they'd, they'd fly for three or four minutes, they'd have to land, change the batteries, and now they can be up there for, yep. for 20 minutes or so. So, yep. it's, it's just, so the, uh, the evolution of modern technology... This, I mean, this is the point I'm coming mm -hmm. to. You mentioned about GPS, and the battery technology has moved on. But is, is there any big movements and advances in, in the hobby since you've moved in with regards how the how the detectors actually work? Absolutely. Um, I, I, I started metal detecting in 1975, um, a long, long time ago, for over 40 years. Um, and the, the machines then were very, very basic. Um, and we did find things. And, and you have to bear in mind as well, there was probably more in the ground then, because every time you take something out of the ground, it's not there anymore, so there's less yeah, and less to be found it, as yeah. you go along. <laughs> um, Eventually we get to a point where there'll be nothing in the ground. Absolutely, so. yeah. I mean, the, I don't think machines nowadays can actually get much better than they are, uh, although, you know, there are always technolo technological improvements and you just don't see them coming, but uh, the, the machine I've now got is very, very sophisticated, very efficient and is finding things that I wouldn't have found 20 years ago. And it was, we've just been uh, sort of like reminiscing a little bit about the hobby, but uh, one thing I found out from actually you know, look, like looking into the metal detecting hobby, just to, to give me some inspiration for what we're doing today, was that there's a lot of people actually going out, and I don't think it's actually in this country, we've just been mentioning this, that there are some people actually going into old mines and the metal detecting, mm -hmm. in like tin mines and gold mines and all this sort of stuff. Probably not so much in this country, because we obviously have coal mines no. around this area, but um, I would imagine for a, for a hobbyist in that sort of sense, it, it's um, sort of like expands a hobby further, something that you've never done yeah, before. I mean, there, there, there are people that go on beaches, they're quite happy to find decimal coinage and, and rings. Um, there are people like myself who, who stick to going on um, historical sites, looking for things going back to Roman or even pre-Roman. 
Um, and there are others in, in Australia. Um, there are people that go out looking for gold nuggets in the gold fields. And if there's anybody out there that sort of... You've got to think of, the, of how the hobby progresses and moves on. Because we've just been saying how the technology's moved on the hobby. I'm, I'm assuming that there's more sites opening up every day. Um, to some extent, uh, although I, I think most of the land that I search now has already been searched by somebody else, um, albeit maybe 10, 20 years ago, um, and therefore they would have used fairly basic machines which missed an awful lot of things. So our new machines are finding those things that were missed. Um, but there's not a lot of land that hasn't been searched already, I don't think. And if it is that you're going out, you might... <laughs> you might just come along and somebody with a big detector might come along. I used to have just said you could find a little tiny coin. Absolutely, yeah. But, but then some of the cheaper machines, you might you might miss something the size of a car. So Yes, you could. <laughs> so easily. <laughs> easily. I mean, one, one of the things we always do, because um, most land has been searched nowadays, one, one of the things that I think is vital is to do the research before you go onto a farm. Um, and one of the ways we do that, we look at tithe maps which help us in terms of names of fields and also showing us where buildings were back in the 1800s that are no longer there now. So we're looking for those sort of areas where there might have been activity. Um, field names are very helpful. Uh, field names such as town field. Um, a town field is one which was used as a common field by the villagers in general. So there would have been more than just the landowner going on. There would have been the whole village going on there. So more people means more losses. So it's those sort of things we're looking for to try and improve our chances of finding things. So if I came to you at your next club meeting and just said, I want to get into the hobby metal detecting, what would be your advice for me? Join our club. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> join the club. Um, we've got a, a, a membership of 85 and we've got an awful lot of experience um, so we can help people with the hobby, um, setting them up, showing them how to search, showing them how to do the research, making sure they understand the need to get permission from the landowners, which is absolutely vital, um, all those sorts of things. Um, and we, we, we have our regular meetings once a month. We take our finds along to share with everybody and show, show everybody. That inspires the new members to, to think, well, I can go out and find that as well now. So it's, it's a very sociable hobby. It doesn't sound very sociable because we've all got headphones on and we don't talk to each other. Well, we've got headphones on now, so it doesn't matter. That's so. true. <laughs> <laughs> but we are talking to each other through the, through the medium of the communication system in the studio. But uh, you've just, <laughs> just, that's just actually brought me on to another question I was going to ask you about the, uh, the detection. Sometimes you, you get the, the metal detectors which give an audible warning, mm -hmm. which come through headphones, but some of them now they vibrate as well. That's one thing I found out. Someone vibrate. They've got LED lights that That's right, flicker yes. and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I mean, but basically, we use the metal detector. The metal detector doesn't usually vibrate, but it gives an audible signal, um, and it gives a different tone for different different metals if you want it to. Um, it also gives an indication of depth um, and things like that. But then, having having found the general area for that find, we use what we call a probe, um, which is um, it's, it's about nine inches long, I suppose, and it, it just it, it's a, a small detector, effectively, that you can poke into the ground, and that gives an audible signal and a light and a vibration. So that's how we then pinpoint where we, where, where our find is. Because the one thing I think when 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 I was, when I was looking for some of the some of the equipment that was out there, and I thought, hang on a minute, this metal detector vibrates. So, mm -hmm. so people that are deaf. Yeah, can actually go out and get involved in this hobby. And you, and you would have thought somebody that was somebody that was disabled probably wouldn't instantly think, "Oh, I'll go out metal detecting." But it can be one of the things that people, people with disabilities and and 
obviously sight problems, hearing problems, they can still get involved with. Yep. Which, yep. which, which I find really fascinating. It's, it, it will include pretty much yeah. anybody from any walk of life. Any, anybody that wants to go metal detecting, as long as they can walk a, s- a small distance, they're fine. We, we, it's a very slow process searching. So on a typical day, I could probably search maybe a quarter to a half an acre in a whole day. So it's, it is a very slow process. So you don't have to be super fit to be in it. Um, it's, a, it's just a hobby that it's a hobby that most people can enjoy if they want to. We've, we've got a, a very varied membership in our club, um, ranging from youngsters right up to people who are in their nineties, and they're still metal detecting. So people can do this. That's it's one of those things. We will talk to you in just a few moments, and uh, it's one of those things that I'm just going to come to about uh, all the charitable stuff and things like this. So yes. we'll talk about this in just a couple of, couple of moments. It is currently just uh, just after twenty five to one. Now we are still talking to Martin all about metal detecting, and uh, we are here in the studio, and we're just <laughs> looking. You've got a massive paper there with a load of contact details and mm-hmm. uh, information about events and things that you are doing. So just give us give us a quick rundown of what's uh, what's on the agenda for the clubs and everything. Okay. Um, well, the club is Crew and Nantwich Metal Detecting Society. Uh, we have 85 members, currently have a waiting list, unfortunately, so if you do want to join, you need to get in touch with us. Um, probably best via our website, which is easily accessible. If you do a Google, Google search of Crew and Nantwich Metal Detecting Society, it will come up as top top item. Um, the club's main activities are we, we promote responsible detecting among our members, and every one of us is insured. Um, public liability insurance that is we hold monthly meetings on the fourth Tuesday of every month in the the uh, Crown in Nantwich and we uh, we have a find of the month which we present every month so everybody brings their finds along which we share with each other and then we have a voting system to see which is the best find of the month we have guest speakers on a regular basis occasional quizzes and the whole thing is just really a social event for the for the members of the club one thing we also do is to organise what we call rallies. Um, this is where we get a landowner's permission to uh, have a meeting on their on, on their land. Um, maybe 30 members would turn up. We each pay £10 for the uh, privilege of searching those fields. And those monies that are raised are then given to the landowner who, generally speaking, will place those with one of his chosen charities. Um, over the years, the club has raised in excess of £55,000 for local charities, um, and we are always on the lookout for new land from landowners. Um, also, it's not just charities. Um, we've done things for um, repairing church roofs and that sort of thing. So anything that um, anybody wants us to raise money for, we're more than happy to do that, but we do need land from landowners. Um, generally speaking, about 50 acres is more than sufficient for us. And the good thing is, where we are in Cheshire, we've got the Cheshire Plain just up the road, we've got loads and loads of rural space, really, I suppose, that, that people can go into. There should be in, should be no shortage of land no, for No, definitely us. not. Um, the other thing we do is we offer a free recovery service, so if people have lost valuable items, um, mainly mainly rings, I think, is the, the normal thing, but it, it doesn't have to be gold rings. Um, I've actually found a manhole cover for one farmer who'd covered it over and, and lost the manhole cover. He was actually very pleased that I found his manhole cover. Cause I suppose that's one thing, really, because there's quite a lot of people in, like, the Victorian houses where yep. the stop taps are actually buried under the front lawn. Yep. So I suppose that would be a good one. If, you, if you've got a metal detector, find out where the pipe goes and wherever the, the most intense signal is, that's probably going to be the tap. Yep, absolutely, we've so, done that as well. So yeah. um, I think one of my favourite finds was a pair of pig pliers, which were actually in the pigsty at the time. 
um, and the pigsty was actually occupied by a massive cell. Um, but I went in there anyway and found these pig pliers. So, yeah. <laughs> very happy farmer again. If you've got any messages that you want to get across to our listeners, please do feel free. Um, just really, uh, I know that um, we're, we're viewed as um, a bit uh, wacky sometimes, but actually we're doing a very good job, I believe, for the community, for the country, for the heritage. Um, the one thing that um, we're very much against is uh, people we call night hawkers. And these are people that go on to sites without permission, um, generally speaking archaeological sites, which they're not allowed to go on to at all, um, definitely don't have permission. Um, and we like seeing these people brought to book. Um, in fact, there was a recent case of somebody detecting on, on the fields around Bunbury Castle. Am I right in thinking that some of the sites and some of the fields... Eastern Castle, sorry. They, they are pretty much like a listed building, aren't they? And, and they? and they come under that same rules. Yeah, absolutely. You're not allowed to go in and start digging the ground absolutely. up. There are uh, archaeological sites, um, ancient monuments, um, scheduled monuments, and we're not allowed on those. And things like burial grounds, I suppose, as well. That sort of ground. thing, yeah, absolutely. Not, not allowed anywhere near those. Um, and, and these people that go on there without permission, they're bringing our, our hobby into dispute. Yeah, it's definitely something that should be... Uh, standard. It, I'm, I'm going to ask now, is there any sort of hotline or anything where people can be uh, reported if they are suspected of this, or is just a case of just contact the police? If you see somebody on a field and you don't think they've got a right to be there, then I, I just, a quick phone call to the police would probably sort, sort it out. Um, there is now a group of... Um, I think there's a team, a team of policemen locally who are dedicated to looking after our heritage. Um, so the, the information will be passed to them. I haven't got those details, unfortunately, but uh, I'm okay. sure that the local police I'm will sure we can find them. <laughs> yeah. If it needs to be, we can put them on the website. Oh, Martin, it's been great to have you with us today. And one thing that I must say is that I don't think you're a geek, and I don't think you're <laughs> a bit strange. It's one of these things that if you're into your history, and if you, especially if you're into your ancient history, things like your Roman history and everything, it's definitely worth another avenue just to go down and then think, oh, hang on a minute, I'll just find out a little bit more about this. And... Talking to yeah. people like yourself, you could probably tell more about local history and Roman history than probably half the history teachers in some of the local schools. So. That's quite possibly, <laughs> so. yes. The only thing I would say is if you're at all interested in the hobby, then please do get in touch via our website. Um, as I say, we do have a waiting list, although we are currently going through membership renewals this month and next month. So there will be some slots available for people. So if you are interested, please get in touch with us. And as always, if you are putting any events on if you, you're posting anything on social media any events to, to try and re recruit people anything like that just give us a shout here at the camp we'll do our best to, to spread the word for you because okay. because that's why we're here well I think it's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us as I say and uh, please do feel free if you are doing anything in the future just give us a quick call and just say look you know can I, can I have five minutes on your radio studio so just to just to tell everybody about our wonderful hobby okay thanks um, and uh, I'm sure nobody then will have the misconception that uh, it's all for boring old fuddy-duddies and people <laughs> like that. So anybody of any age can get involved in this, can't they? Absolutely. Definitely. So. This is The Cat.